0: This is HBR episode 1871 entitled HBR Community News for September 2015, and is part of the series HBR Community News. It is hosted by HBR volunteers and is about 92 minutes long. The summary is HBR Community News for September 2015.
1: This episode of HBR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's H P R 1 5. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com.
2: Okay, Blather is off, and uh, that will free up some... Uh, I, I don't know how much resources Blather uses in terms of the um, things like... What's that? Uh, pulse? Pulse audio? <laughs> I know it's uh, constantly listening, so it must uh, do something. Anyway, I, I don't want my computer doing wacky things. because What happens is um, I've always got Blather going, and uh, if, as long as I'm by myself, everything's good. But if somebody walks into my office and starts talking to me my computer sometimes will just start doing crazy things
0: <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> That's, that, that sounds great i like that it's funny, it's like,
2: <laughs> the first thing i have to do when somebody comes in to see me is hold up my index finger saying hang on one sec so i i stop uh blather from going and then we can have our conversation without um, any important files being deleted or messed up or whatever um who knows what Blither is going to do? Because it's it thinks you're talking to it all the time. It doesn't know there's somebody else in the room.
0: No, no, it makes perfect sense. That's great. Right. Okay. Shall we? Shall we head off then? Um, yep. One thing just to point out: we normally go through the shows. You, you know, you know how this is done. But uh, yeah, the, the bit where we come to the um, the mail reviewing the the mail messages. Um, what we normally do is, I've got lots of links into Gmain where, where, we, where we have copies of our messages. But the thing seems to be broken today. I don't think it's up. Um, I'm having okay. d- difficulty getting to get into it. So, what I might do is um, put, I found that we have a full record of everything on the mailman list the the archive system used not to work but now it is working mm, so I'm okay. going to point to that I don't know if you you're bothered particularly whether you're going to track that yourself but just to, no. just to warn you now, I, I'll no, just that's I'll fine just, uh, I mean
2: I I did see uh, at the show notes here a list of the mailing list topics yeah but yeah. Uh, that was I cool. can I can click through to that I mean, if it seems like we're going to be discussing something for a little while I'll go ahead and click through.
0: You might find that you that they don't get you anywhere. That's the problem. Um, I'm those, try those, one. those links seem to be the thing at the other end seems to be a bit flaky today.
2: Well, it opened up a new tab, and I don't. Looks like it's taking a moment here. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not going to do anything.
0: Well, we'll see how we go anyway. No, no problem. Yep, no worries. Okay, right here we go then. Hello, everybody. This is the HBR Community News Show for September 2015. And my name is Dave Morris, and I have with me tonight, John Culp. Hi, John.
2: Hey, everybody.
0: So, um, Ken's not available tonight, so uh, I think I'm in the in the hot seat. I um, hope I can remember how to do this. And uh, we're going to start off with um, probably me messing up my screen because I've got the wrong push-to-talk button. Um <laughs> I I made control my push to talk, and then I try and scroll, and of course the f- screen shrinks, and I keep doing this. I really got to learn. Anyway, <laughs> new hosts. We have one new host this this past month, and that is Geddes. Geddes, I think his his name is. Um, I'm not
2: sure how that would be pronounced.
0: I yeah, I think it might be a Welsh name, but I. I I um, hope he doesn't uh, come back and tell me off for saying that. But it's a uh, it's a name you do do come across occasionally in uh, an English context. But it, it may be a handle. I don't know.
2: I I don't know either. I think I remember him saying it in his episode, but I've forgotten now how it was pronounced.
0: Anyway, let's launch straight into the um, the last month's shows and. Uh, the first one that was uh, that was me just clicking. It. <laughs> Hopefully, okay. all the de- I'll be able to take all the delays out. Now I'm talking about, them. of course, we can't take the delays out. But, but uh, the first one was Sigflop. Welcome, return of Sigflop, who did a show entitled "Client Side C W Two a- T F Is Wrong With You." And, uh, <laughs> that was a, a talk about using um using a rather wonderful bit of software called M Scripton. Which is capable of converting C and C++ into JavaScript, which uh, is something I've never considered ever ever wanting to do. What do you think of that, John?
2: Well, I don't know. I I got to confess, most of her episodes leave me a little bit confused. But I think what this was all about was some kind of um, some kind of thing that allows you to run C code like on the fly in a browser. Is that? What, am that, I getting that right?
0: That was my understanding. Yeah, yeah. It it uh, it's pretty astonishing when you consider that you can, first of all, that JavaScript can actually do that, can can yeah. emu- emulate a piece of C and quite fast, from what she said. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's a thing that's actually uh, turning this stuff. In it's turning C or C plus plus into this. That's that's pretty astonishing.
2: That is pretty cool. Um, I I don't really know what uh, application I personally would have for, but I I think it's a pretty cool sounding thing. I wonder if there are any security risks to doing something like that.
0: Yeah, I, I have no idea. You <laughs> you think you could do some pretty evil things in in C uh, and presumably C plus plus? So quite quite what how that would operate in, in javascript i have no idea but uh, yeah it's pretty cool um what we'll do as we go through the shows we'll just if there's comments we'll just uh, deal with them as we as we pass through yeah so yeah that th- sounds fine there was a comment on this show from gabriel evenfire who says i always look forward to your shows because um, i know there'll be something really unusual so some really unusual technical material in them this one's no exception I've never heard of Inscriptum before, but I'm going to have a look at the, into this. It reminds me of a project a while back to compile C code using GCC to MIPS assembly that would run on a MIPS interpreter in Java. Holy cow. Wow. Someone built it as a way to compile C programs that would never buffer overflow. Not exactly accurate, but the buffer overflows would never corrupt the interpreter's stack. So yeah, people have been writing some pretty bizarre things, it seems, over the over the years. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and these are things that a, a real programmer understands better than I do. <laughs> I understand a little bit about Bash and Python, and that's about the extent of it. But um,
0: Yeah, I, I've not really had, I, I've been a sort of, uh, um, what, what do you call them, a systems manager? They, they don't call it. Sysadmin? Them. Sysadmin, yeah. Um, my job title was systems manager, that's why I can never remember it. Um, but uh, that was all about you know, this thing stopped working, go and run about and try and make it work. It wasn't really doing anything as clever as this. It was just a machine jockey sort of thing, you know?
2: About uh, uptime.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, so let's move on to the next one.
2: Should should we take turns doing these things? If you want Uh, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the next one, episode 1848, 1848. This was Introduction to W3M, a Command Line Web Browser. By Frank Bell, who has done a number of interesting episodes.
0: Yeah, this 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 sounded pretty good actually. I I didn't think I had an application for a thing like this, but having heard what he was talking about, I, I sort of started to change my mind. What did you think?
2: I've used it a little bit before, and it's um, what I've used W3M for in the past is um like um. Testing for my HTML code, like uh, sites that I'm building, if I want to test their accessibility in terms of making sure that all the images have alternate text and that uh, you can navigate easily around using things like skip to main and you know stuff like that. Uh, but it really is a very good uh, text browser. I, I gotta admit, I normally use eLinks instead of uh, W3M, but I, I have used W3M in the past. It, it's handy.
0: Yeah, it's good to know that these things exist. I um, was listening to what's a little Tux Jam, I think it was, where they were talking about a very lightweight uh, GUI browser called Surf. When I mean, I'm using that where I need to to do really lightweight stuff at the moment, but uh, but I can see W three M and things of that sort could, could come in similar similar place.
2: I've never heard of that. Oh that you said it's surf?
0: Surf, yes, yeah.
2: Okay. I, I may should... try that.
0: You should check that out. It's it's part of the what's it called? Suckless project. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. There was um, if you listen to Floss Weekly on the uh, Twit Network, they just interviewed the the Suckless guys in that one, and they were talking. That's about. funny. That's a, a great, great name, isn't name. Is That's fantastic. I like it. It really yeah. is wonderful. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I might actually check out that uh, the Surf browser. I'm looking for a browser to use with Zimbra, which is our mail and uh, our mail and calendar application at the university. It's a, a collaboration suite, I guess they call it. Yeah. And um, right now, it works best on Firefox. I've been using Firefox almost exclusively for a long time, just because of a certain accessibility feature, the quick search feature, where you can start typing with either a forward slash or a single quote and it will start searching the text on the page and allow you to uh, put focus on it quickly. I I use this all the time with Blather, but um, I discovered a plugin for Chromium that uh, implements the same functionality. And so I've switched over to Chromium because it's so much faster. However, Zimbra doesn't work right on Chromium. (laughs) There's something about it. And so I'm keeping Firefox open just for that one uh, web application. And if I could make, if Surf were to work with Zimbra correctly, I would probably rather do that because it would use less system resources.
0: You should check it out. It's it's a strange beastie. It doesn't it, – it's a just a simple window that uh, doesn't have any buttons or anything. Well, that would be it's all right. It's driven by keyboards, a keyboard input. I haven't really got to grips with it totally yet, but uh, – it it seems to have some potential.
2: That would that would be perfect for the Zimbra web app because uh, the the Zimbra web client has all its own buttons inside the window there, and it's got a very robust set of keystrokes to navigate around to the calendar and to create new appointments and, and new emails and all that. So I, I don't need it to be very robust; I just need it to display correctly.
0: Yeah. Well, I um, what I've tended to do is I've got I've got two monitors now. I. I uh, Acquired another one recently, and and I have one with Vim in it, and the other one I fire up Surf into it. So if I'm editing um, Markdown, then I can generate my HTML and view it in the other the other window through Surf and fire it up out of Vim. That was the time. Uh-huh. So you know. Anyway, we're getting off the point here a bit, but <laughs> so well,
2: there'll be fine. time to talk about Markdown later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure there will. Yes. Okay. There was one comment to this one from Tom Len. Do you want to do that one, John?
2: Oops. Have I been talking all this time without uh, my button
0: pressed here? I think you've you've been you've been in mute.
2: <laughs> Man, that is funny. I read that whole comment without my <laughs> without my button pressed. Oops. <laughs> I forgot that it's push to talk. I so, I've uh, done that after, Oh, it's so okay, easily let, done. <laughs> let me start over again here. Okay. Okay the title of the comment is "Automatize login from command line i don't know if that automatize is really a word or not but uh, i kind of like it
0: it i could say automate but then i'm i'm british so there you go Uh, yeah
2: i don't know anyway he says i just discovered this tool w3m and i was wondering if it could be possible to access a page that requires a login and password i need it to be done automatically from the command line i.e. I wouldn't be pressing any keys. It's a headless server. Do you know if that's possible? I would need to grab some text, but once logged in, the URL remains the same. Thanks in advance. And there is no response to this. I, I don't really know the answer to this question using W3M, but can't you use something like curl to enter a password and username?
0: Yeah, I think I would I would be doing something like that. I wasn't quite clear um what, what he needed to do you'd log into a web browser automatically why would you do that i
2: i, I don't really know I, I would need a some kind of demonstration or a more detailed description of exactly what he's trying to accomplish here but
0: there's probably a way but as you say something like curl might be the might be the answer
2: yeah you can do all kinds of stuff with curl and uh, so it, it seems like that would be the tool i would use I wouldn't if it's headless and you're not going to be actually reading it with your own eyeballs i don't think You would want to use w3m necessarily unless it's got some kind of uh i don't know what's the word um some some kind of um detached i don't know if that's the right word but where you can just send a command and it'll grab some tech like elinks for example i use the elinks dump option quite often to grab the contents of a web page and then scrape it for just the part i want and uh, that will um, use the elinks program but without ever actually opening up the web page in a way where you can look at it
0: yeah i'm sure there's there's all sorts of ways that you can you can do that um as you say we would need to know a bit more about uh, what, it, what he was trying to do i suspect yeah okay. right let's let's move on 1849 was the uh, linux Since. blood cast sorry you you there john
2: did you step on my toes there is it my turn or is it, no, you did the no, last, wait. You
0: did, you, you read the last, um, oh, man. show. I think uh, it's a
2: measure of how slowly we're going that I, um, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I'll do this one. Linux LogCast episode four outtakes. So this is where Kevin Wisher posts, um, some of the, uh, the, the stuff that they don't publish on the LogCast, uh, feed. So, uh. Yeah, it's good. Uh, only nine minutes this time. We've had had more significant chunks in the past, so uh, come on, Kevin, we need more, we need more. <laughs> yeah, I, That's I, a I can't shower. even...
2: I can't really remember whether I listened to this one or not. I normally listen every day, but I don't I don't remember if I heard this one or not.
0: I did, because I usually make notes on these things, and uh, so I keep a wiki to keep that sort of stuff. And I just said to myself, very nice, but could have done with a bit more. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: All right. So then, uh, episode eighteen fifty is Ahuka doing SSH introduction. I'm not sure what the eighteen is. That uh, a series number?
0: I think it is. I think it's this is part of privacy and security. I think that's okay. the eighteenth of that of that series. Is the way okay. I read it anyway.
2: That probably is correct. So the series privacy and security episode eighteen. This is SSH introduction. And uh, I, I love the... I mean, I've used SSH quite a lot, uh, but uh, it's just like with any show a hookah does, he always points out something that I haven't uh, heard of before.
0: Yeah, I, I thought it was a great introduction to the, the subject and a bit of history and everything. It was uh, I'd forgotten quite how SSH had come to be. It was quite nice to have the reference back and go and check that out, actually, just to remind myself.
2: Yeah, I read a book. Um, I wonder what... It seems like I might have... I might have sent that book to NY Bill. For a while there, we were reading books and then sending them along to uh, other people in our little uh, community. And then uh, whoever read it next would send it to the next person and so forth. And I think one of the books I sent along was one about the history of public key encryption. And um, I I don't remember the title of it now, but it talked about a lot of these uh, kinds of things.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting subject. I had not quite remembered that, this had started up as a as a sort of fairly open product. The tattoo Ylonen, I assume you pronounce his name, I don't know. in Helsinki, and then it sort of got uh, turned into a commercial thing, become proprietary, and then the open BSD guys had taken taken away and done open SSH based on it, Forked it effectively, I think. Um, I I had forgotten that, and it was good to be reminded of that because it's good to know the history of these things, as I say.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think there's going to be one more in this SSH series that we'll get to today. Um, however, there are some comments here. and Comment number one from OXF10E, I
0: don't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always have trouble with that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he says uh, the title of the comment is Portable Version of Open SSH. Actually, the portable version of OpenSSH is needed on every platform other than OpenBSD, not just Unixoid ones. Winky face.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, Gabriel Evenfire said um, this could be a very fruitful series. SSH is one of those Swiss Army knives that most people just use for blade. I'm looking forward to seeing where this is going. There's a lot of potential uses to cover. cloud already added an episode talking about SSH config, which we're going to get to soon. And there are lots of useful shortcuts one can include from that alone. So I hope that more people, including you, Ahuka, keep this going.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, what also might be interesting is uh, for those of us who are not going to talk so much about how OpenSSH works necessarily is just to run down the ways we use it. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I could. I, I have a number of ways that I use it that are not necessarily the same as uh, as other people.
1: Yeah,
0: I know. There's there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. I, I used to at work use it quite a lot, and. um there's a minus capital X option, which lets you reflect back X sessions through it to uh, to your local workstation. So it's mm-hmm. quite useful to be able to go to those sort of headless servers or remote servers and, and get X sessions back. A bit slow, but, uh, but you know, that's yeah. there's, there's tons like that, loads and loads.
2: There's one more comment, and that's from the host, Kevin O'Brien. He says, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed this introductory episode. I've recorded and uploaded several more, and I am not done is that a warning and uh <laughs> klatu has also sent in an ssh show so there is plenty to go around
0: very good okay so the next one was the community news so i don't think we want to reflect on that one otherwise we we go into a, one of those infinite circles don't we?
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, I forget did i do the last one or did you <laughs> dave are you yeah, there?
0: sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm biting <laughs> my control, I'm trying, taking my finger off the control key when I want to do something on the screen, and then forgetting to put it back on when I want to speak. Hold on a second.
2: I got you. So I, I I can't remember whose turn it is here.
0: No, I can't remember either. I, um, um, How about well, I go on the next one? Do you want episode, to go on the next one because it's my yeah. my show, and that makes yeah, yeah. That's, that's so crazy.
2: episode eighteen fifty two, uh, Dave Morris, Operation Wallacea. I don't I, Wallase, Wallasea. I I don't know.
0: I had difficulty knowing how to pronounce this, and I'm told that the organization and themselves pronounce it Wallasea.
2: That sounds fine. That's good enough for me. Uh, this was a terrific episode. I I really liked hearing about uh, what your daughter was doing over there, and I went to their website and looked and saw that they've got projects going all around the world. Yeah, for, it's uh,
0: amazing stuff. It's it's a great great thing to do as a as a youngster. You know, to get involved in something like this, and it's great on your CV too, which is why a lot of people are, are doing it for the experience and for the for, for you know being able to say, look, I want to do biology, and here's here's how much I want to do it. I've actually done this during my vacation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, really, really terrific. So, uh, is she back in school this semester now?
0: Yes, yes, she's uh, she's getting heavily into her uh, biology degree right now. Um, she's doing sounds a degree good. in beha- animal behavioral behavioral studies or something of that nature. can't remember the title. But, uh, yeah,
2: sounds like something I would not understand.
0: <laughs> well, she's leaving me standing, I can tell you.
2: <laughs> Shoot, my son is only 14 and he's already talking about scientific things that I don't remember ever learning in my life.
0: No, it's scary when they start to run, run past you in a way. It's a frightening thing. It's good, though. It's the way it should be. So, were there comments on this one? Nothing. Nothing on this one. No.
2: How could that be? We are we are commenting on it now, I guess. Yeah,
0: that's that's what this show is all about.
2: Okay. Uh, episode eighteen fifty three. Then.
0: Yeah. Shall I? I'll just read this one. And this is um, this is Alpha thirty two, and his show is entitled "I Heart Vista." I assume you pronounce it that way. Um, so, what's this? Somebody's commenting on Vista and in, in, on this channel. How I got into <laughs> Linux. It is really so i believe
2: what he's saying is he loves vista because it helped him get into linux because it was so bad is that
0: what that, i that's remember? exactly that's exactly what i understood yes yes it's right. uh, yeah i thought kind it was of a, a backhanded compliment that was a really it's a good hook that was uh, everybody what how, how, what oh right <laughs> okay gotcha <you. laughs> it was good it's it was funny good. so yeah there, there was a comment which made that point as well that aaron b483 says uh Great name for a podcast, I'm sure. Because of the name, of your podcast, you probably got a lot of interest. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a good one. yeah, it was it was an interesting interesting uh, show too. Some so, you know some personal anecdotes about uh, uh, learning the way around Windows things and finding that Linux is is better. Which is always good to hear.
2: Yeah, speaking of uh, moving from Windows to Linux, uh, the next episode, 1854, is me talking about uh, how we finally got Linux installed on my son's Asus TP500L, which came with Windows 8 installed. And uh, here I talk about how I finally decided to uh, try to get into the secure boot protected BIOS and um, disable that and allow installation of Ubuntu on there.
0: Yeah, it's, it was a good story. It's uh, This UEFI business is, is a worrying thing because uh, you never know when it's going to, lock you out totally from doing what you want to do so uh good to hear that you you managed to crack that one
2: yeah it actually wasn't as hard as i feared it was going to be i mean like i said in the podcast i knew when i bought this laptop for him that it had this um feature i guess (laughs) this negative feature of secure boot but uh, he just needed a new laptop and uh, he actually didn't mind windows 8 that much once he got used to it Um, and then he installed windows 10 which people kept saying have all these security and privacy Issues and so we thought, well, maybe it's time. And um, I, I'll say this we did this maybe a month or six weeks ago, and he has not a single time booted back into Windows since then.
0: <laughs> that says a lot, that does. Yes, that, that's fascinating. My, um, my daughter's also got a Windows 8 machine, and she is pretty much content with it because, same reason that you know, needs it for, for things related to, to study. Um, she hasn't yet. Reached the point where she's gone to Windows 10 and has hated it. So, uh, so she's she's moderately content at the moment. So let's hope yeah. that continues. You know.
2: Well, he, uh, my son was. Uh, I mean, there are certain things he likes about Windows 8. Uh, just because, like, there's so many things that will run on it that won't run on. Linux gaming kinds of things and, uh, sure. But, uh, the, the kinds of compatibility issues that I was talking about where he was worried about, um, not being able to work with his, uh, classmates at school on projects that, that, that issue is going away a little bit because it seems like more and more they are all using Google drive and, um, those online free services, you know, free as in beer anyway, services. Uh, and so, um, he, he doesn't even necessarily need to use this office product.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. That's anymore. good. So yeah.
2: I, he'll probably just stick with... The, the one thing that's um, come up repeatedly since installing Ubuntu on there is that every time he gets a kernel update, we have to recompile the driver for his Wi-Fi. And that's always kind of a uh, startling at first because he'll run the updates and then he'll say, Dad, my Wi-Fi is not working. I remember, oh, yeah, we got to <laughs> do something. So I finally wrote a script that he can run that will um, recompile the Wi-Fi driver and then install it in the right place, and uh, and it's all good after that.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's good, but it's it's a it's a pain that it has to be that way. Um, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. At least he's uh, at least he's got something that's uh, You're that breaking works up with. a little
2: bit there, Dave.
0: Oh right. At least he's got something that works well, though. That's the that's the main thing. You there, John?
2: Um, your audio is breaking up a little bit.
0: Yours is breaking up for me, actually. Not I'm sure. not sure.
2: I wonder if it's because my kids are watching videos or something. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you, John, Yep.
2: Okay. Um, okay, we good. Well, I guess uh, you're next.
0: 1855 is a hookah's number 61 in the series on LibreOffice. LibreOffice Impress slide layouts, and auto-layer layout text boxes. So this is um, more on... The, uh, the ins and outs of uh, uh impress and generating slides and so forth. Um I always go off and look at uh Ahuka's, uh his own website for the details of this and it's always really, really good. Um and uh, very easy to follow and stuff. I, I find this one very useful. I've I've I i do not actually need it anymore, but I have used this in the past and uh what uh, and um you know it's good to have this sort of overview i'm sure anybody who needs to generate slides will enjoy it a lot
2: okay so uh you had just finished uh introducing the episode 1855 on libreoffice and press and i missed nearly your whole thing so uh and i don't see any comments on it
0: yeah so i guess we could just go on because i'm hoping that uh, if we if we work with the recordings at this end then we're we could uh, we should should be good um, unless you wanted to to discuss it in any any degree,
2: I mean, only to say what I always have. I should have this little disclaimer or um, canned response to all of his episodes about LibreOffice, which is they're awesome.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I I have no immediate need for for them at the moment, but uh, it's really good to to be able to look under the the hood a bit and uh, and see how it how it all works, just in case, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I use LibreOffice Impress, uh, during school semesters, I use it almost every day. That's what I use to show slides in my classes and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of the stuff he's talking about here, I have not really explored before.
0: No, there's some u- useful stuff. If you want to generate different uh, slide layouts and formats and stuff. That's It's good to know.
2: I don't create all that many new slides anymore. What I'm trying to do now is essentially reduce the amount of text on all of my old slides I have this ideal one day I want to get down to where each slide just has a single icon and uh, each one will prompt me to speak for five or 10 minutes about whatever the icon represents. And uh, what I'm curious to see is whether my students will actually take any notes at that point. I think they're kind of conditioned only to write down what is on a slide.
0: Yes, I know. I know the the way that works. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My my daughter says that if, uh, if, the lecturer doesn't ha- give a handout at, at, a, at a class. You know, usually there's, there's slides, and usually you get a copy of the slides, and sometimes some notes. Then people don't write anything, you know. They, they just expect this stuff to be fed to them, and then they sit there with their mouths open, as it were.
2: Yeah, I, I find that uh, I, I don't just post the slides anymore for students to do that, or else they just don't do anything in class. Uh, I have s- certain students who... Um, for like the office of disability has uh, tested them, and they say these people need a note taker for class. And so for those students, I will offer them outline versions of my slides. But uh, I don't just hand out the slides anymore because I, I want people to take notes.
0: Well, yeah, the way my daughter works is she she takes an iPad in, and then make she's got a note taking thing on that that she uses with a with um you know a stylus. And then she if there's slides to to take away, she then goes and annotates them and makes copious notes on top of the slides or around the slides and that sort of stuff. So for her, it's actually quite good, but a load of people don't do that. Uh, you know, they just say, well, oh, I don't need to do any work. I can just go on carry on.
2: <laughs> she, so, she sounds like an ideal student.
0: <laughs> she's, she's keen. She's keen. Very good. Okay, let's get on to uh, 1856. I guess, uh, yeah. yeah,
2: I guess that's mine now. SSH right. config by Klaatu. And that is the entire title, And, you know, and then he gives an example. And oh yeah, he's talking about the um, the config file. This is something I learned about maybe a couple of years ago. And uh, man, what what a difference that file made once I learned about it. So you can set up all these um, like aliases for all your hosts and uh, store the uh, login credentials, the port numbers, and all of that kind of stuff, so that you don't have to type these very long complicated commands. And so now I will just do, do something like ssh pi two and that will go into my second raspberry pi using the right credentials and all that and uh, I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's that's good. I you know I I knew this existed but I'd never actually bothered to to delve into what it what it did. And uh I actually in many cases had alias command aliases to, to do it so That's how I used to do it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So having heard this I thought oh I must look into this and oh yeah it's much better. I'm so glad that uh, Glad to did this, and I, I've done. I've configured a lot of mine that way now, so it's 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 uh, very very convenient.
2: Yeah, it's wonderful not just for SSHing into things, but for secure copying. I mean, you can copy files over to your servers using these aliases, and uh, man, it makes everything easier.
0: Yes, I know. I I do that. I use uh, SCP and stuff quite a lot. So uh, yeah, it, it makes makes life considerably easier. Very good.
2: Yeah. there is a comment by Oxforderie uh he says nice intro to uh home slash dot ssh slash config comma claw two he says the protocol two option is the default for quite some time as in more than 10 years <laughs> i think the latest version of open ssh doesn't even compile with support for version one by default at least the ssh daemon or the, the server shortening host names comes really handy in cases like uh, webfrontend.fancy-example-corp.co.uk you're not kidding there and there's also patterns matching like uh, oh yeah he talks about pattern matching for uh, host names so like asterisk dot fancy hyphen example hyphen corp and so forth um and then he shows how to use a username and identity file and various other you should go read this comment if it <laughs> if it sounds at all interesting it is too difficult to read yeah. at all yeah, uh yeah. why don't
0: you okay the next one was um, next comment was from B Yeezy, uh, who says thanks for the show. I immediately added a config file with a couple of accounts that I commonly use. the on, The only that I, the only one I, the only thing I added. Perhaps he meant I added for security is to ch- charge is is to change the permissions on the file to to six hundred or six four four. So yeah, the only change that I added. Yeah, I think that's must be what yeah, the word is. hang in there, is. man. Keep up the great shows. Now, I was thrown by the fact he missed a word out there. I was trying to fill it in for him and failing <laughs> miserably. So, <laughs> should just shut up and get on with it.
2: Yeah, I think you are forced to change the pile the file permissions to six zero zero if you're trying to do uh, SSH logins. But I mean, because I've I've had situations where I had forgotten to do that before.
0: Yeah, or maybe I think it's a right. key
2: file. It, it might be the key file that you have to to do that. But because it won't let you log in unless your permissions are set to six zero zero.
0: I thought you had to be careful about the config file because that's potentially dangerous. I thought you... Probably. I, I can't, I've can't. seen this somewhere, but I might have, might be conflating it with the, the thing you said. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, I'm having trouble remembering right now, too. It might have been one time where I, for the first time, tried to log in using a new key pair, and I'd forgotten to change the key files to 600 or something, and it, it aborted and said, you've got to, your permissions are not secure enough.
0: Okay, that's good. So do you want to do that last comment there,
2: uh, John? Sure. Uh, Gabriel Evenfire comments, Identity file. I'm curious if, from your example, you are creating separate identity files for each host. I imagine not, but it's a possibility I'd never considered before. I suppose it doesn't provide that much more security insofar as if someone can read one of your private keys from .ssh slash. They can read all of them, but it does make me think. For my part, I have this Ruby script to run SSH with shorthands to the different identities and accounts in our internal machines. This show is prompting me to do it the right way, especially insofar as it will work with secure copy, secure FTP, and the scripts that use them. Thanks for the show. I'm enjoying that people are starting to break open the tools other than the blade in this SSH Swiss Army knife. And uh, that's... Uh, I had never really thought about creating a, a separate key pair for each server that I use either. No, is this something neither. that you do?
0: No, I, I've never, never done that. Never occurred to me why I would need to do it, to be honest.
2: Yeah, nor me either. Uh, something to think about, I suppose, but I, I don't really know.
0: So, okay, next show then, 1857, um, Adventures in Coffee by C-Prompt, Curtis Atkins, And, um, yeah, another, another one in the series, a great series on coffee. I'm not sure we've had enough to make a series yet, but uh, maybe we should. And uh, C-Prompt talking about his French press, which uh, is very interesting, and uh, the way he gets his coffee from. In fact, he uses a creamer too, um, which good. I, I, I was impressed by the links and the, uh, the various resources he uses. They, they look really good.
2: Yeah, uh, we have a French press, but I haven't used it in quite a while. And if, in fact, I think my wife took it to her office so that she could make French press coffee there. We have probably six or seven different ways to make coffee in the house here. And uh, yeah, I, I like French press. You know, as long as you grind it coarse enough so it doesn't get too gritty. Um, and I, I like the fact that he talked about the temperature of the water and and how that affected the the taste of the coffee too. I used to have a a travel French press mug where uh, you just drink right out of the, the thing itself. Uh, I think it was actually Bodum that made that as well, but it was a little travel mug that was a French press.
0: That sounds very good. I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah. There's there's quite a variety of different devices like that. I'm sure I've been in some restaurant where they maybe gave everybody an individual French press or something and, uh, and a cup or something. I can't remember now.
2: It's Probably quite, so. It's
0: quite cool, uh, So, uh, Gabriel Evenfire comments, uh, Nice episode even for non-coffee people. I'm not a coffee person. I've tried. I can't seem to acquire the taste. Definitely prefer teas. But it was nevertheless entertaining to hear the process you go through. I've heard people talk, rave actually, about French presses before, but never had a clue as to why they were useful. Hearing the process, I can start to imagine why. Thanks for the show.
2: Very nice. Comment number two, posted by Dave Morris. He says says "I enjoyed this a lot. I like the relaxed style and the detailed content. not use my French presses or cafetiers, as we prefer to call them for a while. I prefer to use my mocha pot and brew a large, strong coffee every morning after listening to this, I had a craving for coffee, so I made some with some Kenya medium ground I had all but abandoned in the freezer. It was great, but that's double my normally uh, daily intake." <laughs> <laughs> got to watch it there,
0: Dave. <laughs> I know, I know. I shall be uh, shaking before I know what's happened. That's true, though. It's, it's it's something about listening to to people talking about coffee that makes you think, "Oh yeah, I could just drink coffee now." It's and oh, I didn't no do that very thing. I don't use a uh, French press very often. I've got uh, a metal insulated one, uh, which uh, which is really good. It keeps the coffee warm after you've made it. So uh, that that got, oh, yeah. got some use.
2: We used one of those uh, when we were traveling last summer, we stayed at a a bed and breakfast place that had one of those uh, metal French presses that was insulated. And that that made really nice coffee.
0: Yeah, it was good. It's good. And Michael made a comment saying, you've got my European mind. Congrats, you got me for a long moment. (laughs) Which is an interesting way of saying he was deeply puzzled. Water at 200 degrees, huh? (laughs) After it finally (laughs) dawned on me, I consulted an online converter to learn that 200 degrees Fahrenheit means 93.3 centigrade, which made a lot more sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) That wonderful stuff. I guess it would. Fahrenheit centigrade uh, problems all, all the time. Otherwise, I second Gabriel above. Thanks for the show. So no, that's that is, I like that. You know what the
2: the problem for me with the uh, the water temperature is that it's it's too difficult to get it just right. Like I, I would like to have a water heater upper that just goes to the right coffee temperature. Because we have the um, electric tea kettle that will it boils it, and I suppose you could turn it off before it gets to the boiling point. But which is the right point? And we've got a thermometer, but man, I just can't be bothered to be um to be doing all that to make sure the water is at the right temperature.
0: No, it's 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 a tremendously complicated process, isn't it? I just happened yesterday when I was just wanting to relax for a bit. I I got to the the Wikipedia page on coffee up on my tablet. I was sitting there reading this, and the detail that they go into there about you know <laughs> coffee, how where coffee comes from, and how you make it, and all of the the complexities of what what comes out when, and what different roasts and stuff. It's is amazing. You could you could write. PhDs galore on that, I'm sure. Oh, you
2: you surely could. Um, somebody probably has, I would think.
0: It's probably happened, yeah. Yeah, true.
2: Right, so episode 1858, another one of my uh, favorite ones here, Multimeter Mods Part 2 by N.Y. Bill. And in this one, he talks about more modification. He finishes the mods that he started in an earlier episode to his uh, knockoff multimeter. Well, I, I think that's putting it in negatively to say it's a knockoff multimeter. He, he just says that it's a very high-quality Multimeter that's not quite commercial grade, like the one he uses for work.
0: Yeah, it. It. Uh, I was impressed with its description of it because he's also done a review of it, hasn't he? Is that, is that in the past or in the yes. future? I'm not sure. Um, I think it's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was impressed with it. In fact, I quite tempted. To, you can buy them here as well. I'm quite tempted to get one. So I just have a cheap multimeter at the moment, which is. Uh, I quite like something with a bit more quality to it even though that is not professional quality certainly high enough quality for my needs
2: yeah I, i've got one i don't even know how much mine costs because my dad bought it for me as a birthday present or something and uh, it i mean it seems fine for me but i don't think it has all the features that uh the bill's talking about this one having
0: yeah yeah it's, it's, it's tempting but I, I was very impressed with what he was doing with it it's uh it was quite a quite a tale he was telling here of uh, well a bit of a bit of a <laughs> a faux pas if you like uh, going on they cutting the hole in the wrong side was uh, <laughs> the sort of thing you would just go oh no and you you just sort of throw it out the window perhaps but uh, he he managed not to do that and uh, carried on and three D printed a thing to to fill the hole in which I thought I was just amazing that was that's a brilliant piece of work.
2: <laughs> I, I love that. It, it's one of those examples of uh, messing something up and then instead of uh, being angry, thinking, what an opportunity. I can learn some 3D printing and some uh, CAD and stuff. So, man, I yeah. love this yeah. episode. <laughs>
0: well, somebody made the comment that um, we could do with the show on the 3D. I don't know if that's following on later on, but uh, it, uh, it, it's, yeah, the, the, the fact that he taught himself how to do this in Blender and then, then got his friend to, to print these things out. It was just fantastic. I like this very much.
2: Me too. So uh, my comment was the first one. I say another amazing tale of ingenuity. Well done, Bill. I loved this episode. Especially enjoyed the inadvertent detour into CAD and 3D printing. Of course, the process of designing and printing 3D model is good for another episode. Dot dot dot.
0: Very good. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Mike Gray, followed with a comment hacking at its best great stuff hacking at its best heard the names of some old friends too 2n3904 2n2222 etc etc these are not old friends to me but i know what he's saying
2: yeah I, I don't know those guys either uh ny bill responds thanks john yeah that detour into 3d design and printing was interesting a friend from our lug jason bought a 3d printer about eight months ago a-Sphere was interested in it and asked lots of questions. He then designed a part for one of his model rockets and asked if Jason could print it. Before I knew it, A-Sphere bought his own 3D printer kit, and while designing my parts, I asked A-Sphere, is this how it all starts? I'll want my own 3D printer soon. Of course that's how it starts, Bill.
0: <laughs> well, why would you not? I mean, <laughs> yes. And uh, anyway, Bill also comments back to, to Mike saying, yep, those old Two ends. Uh, one of those, if one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Parts. Yes,
2: it means they still do the same job they've always done and do it perfectly yeah. fine.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I like that these guys are they're starting to talk code to one another here, and, uh,
2: like transistor nerds or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So there are a couple of more comments here. uh, Wee, uh titles his comment "Splitting Hair." I agree on old friends for the. 2N3904 and 2N2222, however, I can't resist to add that these are, unlike the 2N7000, not MOSFETs but NPM BJTs, Bipolar Junction Transistors. The point being that BJTs need some amount of control current at the base in contrast to the virtually zero current at the gate of a MOSFET. Judging from the linked pictures, you have compensated for that by using a bigger capacitor to get the desired turn-on time. In any case, thanks a lot for sharing this journey. Okay, I, I didn't understand very much of that there, but...
0: No, no. Well, it it, it is, you know, the, the cognoscenti are, are, are discussing these things that us mere mortals have to just sort of stand in the sidelines and listen to, I guess. Yep. And why Bill uh, replied to Mirui saying, uh, transistors, I started with a MOSFET, but what, it wasn't doing what I wanted. So I experimented with the transistors I had on hand and chose the one that worked best for me. However, I can't remember if I went into detail about the part change between episode one and two. Thanks for the clarification. You know, an episode on the finer points of transistors might make a fine HBR.: <laughs> Thanks. and my bill. That's a good one. It's, we need more of those comments. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah. And finally, Mike Ray makes another comment. Sadly, some of the old friend... Through-hole mounting transistors are beginning to disappear, or at least be very hard to find. And those that are still there are rising in price, I guess, to reflect the smaller numbers in which they are made. It's getting almost impossible to find the good old 2N3819 MOSFET I used to use to make oscillators, and even workhorses like the BC107-8-9 transistors are getting ridiculously expensive over here in the UK. Anybody remember scraping the paint off the body of an OCR45 to make phototransistors?
0: Uh, sorry, no, but not bad I, no. I dare say some people do.
2: Very nice.
0: Right. So I guess you're up now. Yep. Yep. Sorry, I'm just juggling between pressing the button and clicking the <laughs> clicking to the next page. Too too much behind the scenes here. Sorry about that. Um. So this is 1859. A mouse in a maze on the Raspberry Pi by uh, Gabriel Evenfire, and this is um, him talking about more about bare metal programming on the Raspberry Pi, um, and continuing on from some of his earlier earlier stuff. Very detailed stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm interested, but I don't really understand very much of it. I'm I'm sad to say, but uh, I always like hearing what people are doing with their Raspberry Pis. I mean, that itself could be a series, I would think
0: yeah, yeah, no it's 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 interesting stuff it's um, it's hard to get into unless you have that sort of background. I mean, if, if you've done a degree in computer science, you might well have covered some of these sorts of things, but i I haven't, and so my knowledge in this area is more sort of uh, peripheral um, in many ways so yeah uh, i I did when I worked at um, my previous job. Uh, there it was in the era when um, microprocessors, as they were then called, were, were appearing. And uh, there was a team in our department who was building, uh, a mic- there was a competition, I'm not sure if it was just in the UK, called the Micro Mouse Competition, where you had to produce a, a mouse-shaped robot that physically went through a physical maze to find a piece of cheese. And uh, they were doing this on uh, using processes like 6502 and that that type of stuff um i didn't i wasn't sufficiently knowledgeable about how to do that in those days but was very deeply interested in what they were doing so this reminds me of that
2: yeah it, it sounds pretty cool but like I, said, I, I can't really follow a lot of uh, what he's talking about there there was one comment by mike ray entitled welcome return great episode gabriel and great to see you back with more bare metal programming Looking forward to episodes about sound rendering on the GPU.
0: Wow, yes, yeah, quite. Be interested to hear that. All
2: right, so the next episode, 1860, is that it? Yeah, 5150 interviews Chris Wade of Save Wi-Fi. And um, this is the one where they're talking about new FCC regulations, and the potential consequences for open source operating systems and for the firmware that many of us like to load onto our routers.
0: Yeah, this is a, it's a pretty scary prospect, I think, isn't it? The fact that, yeah, there's a potential issue with software-defined radios being used to do things that, that uh, more fixed hardware was being used for in the past, is opening doors that weren't opened before. And if I understand it, this is sort of a bureaucratic response to that, which is to say, you know, ban it, uh, control it, stop yeah. it, or you know, rather than rather than a more controlled um, response. And and it, it's I think Chris Wade made an ex made some very excellent points about the, the stupidity of this this response by the FCC. But it's going to have worldwide ramifications as, as well, which is very very worrying.
2: Yeah, well, uh, for my own part, I'm I don't not planning on changing the um, firmware on any of my routers, all of which run DDWRT on them. Until I hear otherwise, I'm just going to keep running them.
0: Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure that's the case, but it it's more that new stuff will will be restricted in this way and. Eventually, if if it oh, continue, yeah. if it actually happens, it will it will spread to all sorts of places because you know there's so much stuff that that could potentially have this this sort of software-defined radio um, equipment in it, including laptops and anything with Wi-Fi on it. I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, there are no comments for that episode.
0: Okay, so uh, moving on to 1861. This was Curtis Atkins Adkins, Adkin, sorry, Curtis uh C Prompt, who was doing another in his series of cool stuff. This is part four. And he was talking about three main main topics. C CMUS, C-MUS is that what it's called? C M U S Commander. I've never used well. it, but yeah know I've not used it. I've, I've used uh, MPC and MPD and some of the things that's, that work around that, but not that particular one. Mm-hmm. And recommending a podcast song exploder. Musicians take apart their songs.
2: That sounds pretty cool, actually. Um, I, I've not explored that podcast, but I remember thinking while he was talking about it that that's a, a genius idea for a podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm sure it's interesting. I've not, not followed it up and the third one was uh, Mr Robot which is a uh, tv show i believe certainly heard of it not seen it though
2: i haven't either uh, maybe i should uh, try it out though because uh, my wife and i are having a real problem finding any tv series to watch uh, i mean uh, we'll watch one episode and then just uh, can't be bothered anymore and we just read our
0: books <laughs> well yeah it's a funny thing actually without digressing too far um when my kids were here before they went off to to university and stuff, uh, we reached the point between us that we just got so bored with with TV, and that was 2013. And the TV's not been switched on since. Nobody wanted to watch it. You know, there's there's <laughs> plenty of other places that you can read, you can go on the internet. There's so much other stuff. We have not watched the television in that time because the amount of stuff that we actually enjoyed amongst the what was available was tiny. Why bother? we really with the, yeah. the answer.
2: We, we found a few series that we like, but then they're, they're those, the sorts of series that are over after, say, six or eight episodes, and then there's no follow up. And so then we are left looking around for more. And uh, I've always got a book going, and I, I like reading just as much. But the only thing I always watch on TV is the whatever American football games are on, and uh, I'll, I'll watch those. But um, otherwise, I'd rather just read my book.
0: I think I think it's a common response these days. I, I know loads of people who who, who, uh, who see the world in that sort of way. So, It's good. For yep. Personal, but... All,
2: All right. Let's move anyway, on. Another one of the cool stuff episodes where Ken might say that you could make three episodes out of <laughs> out of the one.
0: So that's always true. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
2: Yeah. So, uh, are are you up next? I forgot already.
0: Uh, no, I did last one. I think didn't I? Okay. Yes. yes.
2: So, uh, 1862, the awesomely epic guide to KDE, part one, and then the next day is part two. And uh, in this one, the new host, Geds, Geddes? Geddes, I think it's Geddes, uh, yeah. contributes his very first show and he talks about the KDE desktop. And I, I found it very, very interesting. I've, I've tried KDE two or three times in the years that I've been running Linux and it has never stuck. Uh there, there are certain things I really like about it like the Kate text editor I think is excellent but overall I I just have never found it all that interesting but I liked hearing him talk about all the various ways to tweak it to make it um uh, make it better
0: Yeah I know it it's a it it was a great idea to do a show on this um to be be going through an article like this. The article was, was brilliant, of course, but it, it's a great idea to do this because it, it's it's a, a good way to consume that sort of thing, I think, and it, it's fascinating oh, right. material.
2: I had forgotten. So he did not write this article, but he had made the audio recording for uh, Linux Voice. Is that That's correct? That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: Yeah. And he, he got the permission to to put it up on HPR as well. So Yeah. Which is, which I is enjoyed great. that. Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I really enjoyed listening to this. I am a k I have been a KDE user actually for a long time. Um, yeah, I thought so. I I started on Red Hat Linux back in the 90s and then it turned into Fedora and KDE must have appeared in that sort of era. And I just moved to that rather than the GNOME because GNOME seemed very mm. primitive. So I just stuck with it ever since. Until now, I'm not on it anymore because Debian testing mm. breaks it all the damn time. So, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm currently using XFCE, which uh, which is is more basic, but it but it, it's more stable. So, so yeah. Well,
2: gonna... I'm on I'm on OpenBox with Tint2, and uh, you know. If I... It's uh, much more basic, even than XFCE, but I like it very much.
0: Yeah, I used to use CrunchBang on one of my machines, um, and uh, had OpenBox on that. Yeah, it's it's good. It it does does the job.
2: Yep. Yeah. So there's one comment by Ken Fallon. He says, "I just enabled a load of these." Hi, Geddes, I just re-enabled a load of these. <laughs> I didn't bother before, as I mostly did reinstalls, but then I realized that I could keep my config in my home dir so it would move with me. Excellent reading and a great idea. I guess he's referring there to the idea of taking this audio from um, something else and then presenting it as an HPR episode.
0: Yeah, I think it is a is a good idea. It's, uh, um, yeah, and Linux Voice uh, product uh, are always worth uh, hearing again, I think.
2: Sure, uh, especially for those of us who uh, found Linux Voice too expensive to subscribe to.
0: That's a shame. That's yeah, <laughs> that's a pity. Um, so if we hop across to the next episode, there's not much more to say about the content. But yeah. There's a there's a comment from from John Culp who says probably still will not switch to KDE, but. I really enjoyed both of these episodes about tweaking KDE, although I probably still not adopt the desktop myself. This also is a pretty good idea to re- read old magazine articles that are still of current interest as HBR episodes with some intro up front, as long as it doesn't run afoul of any licensing, which which we know it doesn't. So yeah. Good deal. Great idea. Good good way to, to join HBR too. Yep. Okay. So, so who's on? Oh, uh, it's me next. Is it? Shall I do this yeah. one? You some can do geezer, your own episode there. Some geezer <laughs> called Dave Morris did a thing, turning an old printer into a network printer. This was me trying to um, make my old printer work. I was, I think, somebody commented on um, Oldcast Planet. I just saw the comment when I logged in the other day. But old is ten is ten years. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a way of describing it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually have an even older printer, which is from the 1980s, but it's a serial laser printer. So I want to get that one oh at some stage. But, uh, wow, I think I might be in for a struggle there. But, it's funny. Anyway. I
2: remember when my dad g- got his first laser printer, I think it was an HP LaserJet 4. And uh, I want to say he paid nearly $3,000 for that thing.
0: Yeah, I can believe that. They were, they were very expensive. Yeah, that yeah. was about
2: 1990.
0: Well, we, we bought laser printers for our VAX cluster, which we bought in 1987 at uh, the university I was working at. And when it was junked, then the laser printers were still working. So, And they were going to get thrown out. And I said, oh, I'll have one. But sure. you, you try lifting it. Wow. <laughs> it weighs a ton. And it's only a sort of desktop thing. But, uh, That's funny. It's, it's amazingly heavy. It's made of lead or something. I'm not sure what it is, but it's... it's <laughs> Concrete? I have no idea. Maybe.
2: That's but... a security feature, so nobody runs off with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, um, the point of this show was I was doing this and getting it to work, and I'm a, a terrible note taker. I have to write things down, otherwise I forget them. So I wrote lots and lots of notes in my wiki, and I suddenly thought, oh, wow, I could write. I could make this a show. So I did. <laughs> sure. So you got my notes, effectively. Slightly slightly Very changed. good. So, anyway.
2: Yeah, I liked that episode, and I, I commented as much, saying, whoa, remote scanning. Very cool, Dave. I've got an old printer on the network, too, but hooked up to my Goodwill router via USB. The advantage of using a RASPi is the remote scanning. I never even knew that was possible at all. thought you always had to hook up with the USB to scan stuff. Again, Then again, I never really thought about it that much. Usually, I walk over to the university library to do my scanning, because they have awesome scanners for public use. Thanks for another great episode.
0: Thanks, John. And uh, uh, that's what I said in response. Uh, Thanks, John. I like that. I like that that routers can run printers like this. It's a great idea, but I suspect the features are limited. Um, I I I do have a router that can do it, but I haven't tried it. Um, I have plans to experiment with CUPS, perhaps configuring other queues for different size stationery, for example. Just as an aside, we used to run CUPS at work. Back in the day, so uh, I have a little bit of experience playing around with it. Oh, I, mm-hmm. I commented here about my deck lno 3 monochrome laser printer, circa ah, nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know how to make a Raspberry Pi talk serial RS two three two to an to a, a printer, but that uh, would be quite an interesting thing to to do. I'm sure, it must be possible. So yeah. yeah. the... The scanning capability is good to have, and it's been used more than I would have expected. Quality is not particularly high, but it's good enough for most purposes.
2: Sounds fine.
0: So, let's
2: have... man, look at me yawning here at two o'clock in the afternoon.
0: <laughs> well, uh, we're, <laughs> we're getting close to the end, I think, are we? Um, yeah, next three...
2: episode is. Uh, we got four more episodes here. Yeah. Next one is. Number sixty-two in the LibreOffice Impress or the LibreOffice series. This is Impress working with text boxes by Ahuka.
0: Yeah. So this is this is another. This is a follow-on from the uh, the previous one of actually making your slides with your own text boxes um, to to put them where you want, and have as many as you want, and so forth. Um, I'd never actually done this. <laughs> Didn't even know it was possible, but. Uh, as usual, Ahuka does the does the great thing of giving us lots of information, especially on his own site there, and uh, yeah, leading us along the, the way to to uh, to the answers to this. So very good, thank you.
2: Well, this is, I mean, uh, this episode really helps to explain some confusing things about the way impress behaves. When you think you ought to be applying a textile, you really ought to be applying a drawing object style. I mean it. it it really is uh counterintuitive when you're using the program and here he kind of breaks it down and tells you which styles you really need to be using if you want it to work right. So that's it's very helpful.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's it's a strange it is a rather strange beastie this this thing. It's a, to to make it do what you want to do. It's not entirely obvious. It, I've certainly seen people try and use slide presentation systems as if they are typing a document and uh, only to, to Oh, that's it. awful. Yeah and then it flows from one slide to another and makes a hell, hell of a mess and so on and so forth. So it's good to um, to understand it better um, in this way, I think.
2: Yep. there were no comments. So on to 1866.
0: So this was uh, Kuvmo. Is that Kuvmo? Is that how you say it? Kuvmo? Um, who was talking an awkward talk with two young computer users, is his title, and he talks to his... His children, Eric and Emily, talking about operating systems, school, and fun uses of computers. So, it was, I love that. It was I great. thought it was nice.
2: I, I didn't was... think it was that awkward.
0: No, 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 no absolutely no. It's, it's the way you know it's the way these things go. I think it just seemed very natural and uh, and relaxed. It was it was good. And they they were certainly uh, the the t- the two kids were very very forthcoming with uh, with their thoughts and opinions.
2: Yeah, I, I enjoyed that because my kids are. One year off of their ages, my kids are 14 and 11, and they would have had somewhat similar responses, although I think it sounds like my son has a bit more experience in the programming part of it. It sounded like he was trying to to get his son to show a little bit more interest in programming, um, and yes. I wasn't sure he really wanted it.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I think he hadn't quite delved far enough into it yet to, to understand what, what was entailed, but uh, there you go. that's, yeah, that's uh, fine. Fair enough. And uh, Frank, I don't know which Frank this was, commented on the the show. Was it Frank Bell, perhaps?
2: Uh, Probably Frank Bell. I I don't know many Franks that listen to us and who comment.
0: And he said, absolutely delightful, which I I can't but agree with.
2: Yeah, it was great. So the next day was my episode called the Lafayette Public Library Makerspace. And uh, this was one that was made over a series of days. Uh, I think there are three separate segments here. One ending in bitter disappointment and another longer segment where I got just awesome help from the librarian on duty in the makerspace. And then I finally come back and give a little roundup and talk about the results of the printing. Uh, Basically what I was doing was trying to get in there and make use of the 3D printers and other things that they have in the newly renovated downtown public library in Lafayette, Louisiana.
0: Yeah, what a place. It sounds really, really good. I was so so glad you told us about it. You're very lucky. I don't know that uh, this place is quite of that, that caliber in the, in, in the UK.
2: I don't really know either. This is the only one of the public library branches that's got a makerspace. Now, we do have a new branch of the library. Well, I say new, but it was probably built seven or eight years ago. And uh, it has lots of excellent things in it, but I, I just like how they when they were renovating this downtown library, they thought of so many things. Like they thought of the makerspace and, and also liked the fact that it's not just for technology, but also for more uh, traditional making arts like uh, knitting and sewing and things like that, where you can go in there and, and use these sewing machines or sit around with other people and knit a scarf or something. It's, it's really very cool.
0: Yeah, somebody with, with quite a lot of, of uh, foresight must have, must have thought this through how, how would that have been done do you know is there some sort of a um a community uh, group that that can, comes up with these ideas
2: well i know that there is a i don't know i don't know if it's a board of directors or something like that but uh i'm actually friends with one of the people who's um a sort of official in the lafayette public library and uh, she may have had something to do with it they also hired a very good architecture firm to uh, handle the design of the interior renovation and everything. The exterior of the building didn't change a lot, but it it has some additions. The interior is almost completely different, and uh, it it's really really well done. It, it took them four or five years to get it done, but man, it, it's awesome now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it sounds well well worth the wait. From, from what you describe, it's it's really good. The the only thing I wondered about was uh, the Maybe they didn't quite get the opening times sorted before before it became available. Uh, that that was that was the only sort of down slight downside. I'm sure they will soon get it organised, but it seemed a little bit uh, lacking there.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I I talked to the I, I cut out the part of the podcast where uh, the librarian explained to me why they weren't there on that day when I first went, and it it was it had to do with personal reasons for her, and so I I decided to cut that out um it, it was very valid excuse but um that i think they've got it stabilized now and she told me that they're starting to have lots of groups going in scheduling classes and stuff like that so i think it's going to be very well used
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah Sure, i heard the bit where she said there were classes coming in and stuff which will be fantastic what what a resource that's that's really good yeah very it's lovely.
2: uh like i said a great public uh quality of life enhancement for the city
0: yeah absolutely Right, so next was uh, was me again. although well, it wasn't really me. I just uh, posted the show um, for the for the group, and this was the this is 1868 Glasgow pod crawl or pod crawl Glasgow. Maybe it should have been whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kevy think puts it the other way around, what right? he, he refers to. It. Okay. So Kevy was the organizer of the of the, the pod crawl Really, he and uh, McNallow Andrew Andrew Conway, but. Um, it was a it was a fun time. I thought there might be a few more people, but uh, the fact we had Andrew Gregory from Linux Voice come along to to join us as well was was very good indeed. So that was good. Then it was it's a good idea to come back and uh, and chat about it. I thought it was it was fun to, to get together and chat.
2: Yeah, it was really nice hearing uh, Andrew Gregory's voice again. I I've not listened to any of his podcasts since what what was it was it the ubuntu uk pod what what podcast did he do before linux he's, voice he,
0: he did um he was on linux format and that their their, their podcast the was yeah. called tux tux radar i think was it tux, tux radar yeah, yeah I listened to yeah. boy, both of those yeah yeah so um, yeah they they have a they have a really nice relaxed way of doing their their podcasts uh yeah, which, which is always quite amusing and uh, so yeah he's uh, partly down to to andrew but i'm sure the others contribute a lot as well but uh, it was, yeah it's yeah. cool. It cool it was
2: fun fun hearing you guys sit around uh talking it rem- reminded me a little bit of the duffer cast
0: yeah 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 there was there was some commonality there i suspect
2: yeah <laughs> i'm getting a little bit distracted right now my daughter is outside singing la vie en rose <laughs> in a very loud voice she and her friend are rehearsing because they're supposed to Sing this at an upcoming event at her school. I think the French immersion program is doing some kind of thing, and so I, I like. I'm hearing you, but I'm also hearing her singing outside my window. It's very distracting.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's rather fun. It's, it's not coming through very well. I just caught just the edge of it, but uh, your your mic must be quite directional or something. Well, yeah. it's
2: a condenser mic, uh, but it is outside. So I'm yeah. I'm in yeah. I'm in the detached office, which is not. Uh, connected to the house but she was out on the back patio there singing and uh, it's really funny
0: <laughs> very good very good yeah I, I, I sometimes when I do these my daughter's here if, she, if she's if it's vacation and stuff and she's uh, she occasionally forgets and uh, makes noises in the background but uh, not, not singing uh, that hasn't happened yet <laughs>
2: it's good to get a little atmosphere there
0: yeah absolutely
2: alright so mailing list discussions
0: yep I'm just changing gear quickly. So yeah, um, what we normally do is to talk about what's been happening on the mailing list and the the notes are set up. But what happens if you're not aware of it is that uh, when stuff gets posted to the HPR mailing list, it also gets copied to the GMAIN, G-M-A-N-E service uh, and is available there as well. So what I do is I I scan that and link to the various things for the, the notes. But I have a suspicion that um, Gmain is, is having a problem today. Uh, when I tried it earlier on, I wasn't actually able to get through to it. So um, just hold hold on a second while I check again.
2: I'm actually trying to grab one right now. And it's just spinning. It's not loading up.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing the same here. It It's a great service. It's a free service but i i don't know whether he he gets attacked the guy who runs this whether he gets attacked or whether he's he's maybe just gets overloaded or or what exactly happens to it I
2: well maybe let's view this as an opportunity to have a shorter community news
0: yeah I think that the um going into into minute detail with the the email uh might be excessive i I, I don't know um we um we can probably skim skim through it fairly fairly quickly. The time I did this on my own, this show uh, a while back, what I did was I, I summarised the mail to, for myself and just quickly skimmed through it and said, Here's, here were the main topics without drilling down. Because you can always drill down yourself to, to see the, the details. And if, if you're an HPR subscriber, then you probably are uh, on the mailing list anyway. And if not, yeah. uh, you, you maybe ought to be. The other thing I should say is that um, we our mail, mailing list is run with the Mailman list uh, software. And Mailman uh, can keep its own uh, archives of messages, which it threads and variously keeps in, in order. We used to have a problem with this. And I think that's why Ken moved over to gMain. But since we've we've moved across to an honest host, the new Mailman installation has fixed all of the problems that we had with the archive. So the archive is completely intact now, as far as I can see. So if you can't get through to gMain, you can can just uh, click on the link to the Mailman mailing list site and click on the the link to archive, and uh, you'll see all of the messages there. So uh, so there's, there's multiple strings to the, the bow there. Oh, sounds good. I used to administer a mailman system for the university I worked at, so it uh, feels like uh, home from home in many respects. Anyway, <laughs> um, the main, the main uh, topics on the mailing list then briefly are there was some discussion about uh, using Markdown for show notes, that was one of the earliest uh, subjects that came up with some chat about the different versions of Markdown that might be available and possibly some other uh, markup languages being being used. I don't think we've reached too much of a conclusion. I think uh, the view that Ken and I hold is that uh, we will take whatever you send us. We'd really, really like it if you could send us something which was a, a, a known markup format and if you tell us what it is, that would that would be great. We don't have a mechanism for doing that yet, but uh, you can just put it in the in the top of the show notes, as a few people have have done, yourself included, John. Um, right. And uh, if it's uh, and if and then we, I'm I'm writing some stuff to uh, help with the uh, the processing of of this uh, into HTML. If you feel that you're able to generate good quality HTML five, then go for it, and uh, that, that's the, the best option. But, uh, um, you know, we, we, we'd we prefer not to have to debug it. So, you know, we'd like it to be good quality, please.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I tried Markdown for the first time on this uh, the latest episode that I uploaded, and it seemed like everything worked fine except for the image links were messed up by whatever version of Markdown uh, either. Did, are you the one that handled that?
0: I, I actually you? processed on when- one. Ken is it does most of the the processing on the back end though we're trying to work it out that we can divide up the load um, but we haven't got there yet so but in this particular case uh, I ran my test script against your your notes and it said this is markdown so it uh, it went and ran pandoc on it but what I hadn't realised was that it was running pandoc in its um, Pandoc mode, which which does slightly different things to standard Markdown, so it, see. It, it messed it up, uh, which you pointed out, and I, I then fixed it. But uh, so it's a learning process. It, it, it's still it's still discovering things about this. So yeah,
2: but you said that there was a, a flag that you could use on the command line that would tell it to run in some kind of uh, a, a different mode.
0: Yeah, when you run Pandoc, okay. there's there's umpteen. Oh, you mean in the notes themselves? No, you mean no on, the com- in, uh, on the command line. On,
2: on Pandoc.
0: Yeah, there are umpteen uh, options to, to Pandoc. So uh, you can say, uh, I think this is plain markdown, or it's Pandoc enhanced markdown, or it's GitHub-style markdown, and many others.
2: Heaven help uh, us.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a brilliant bit of software. It's, it, seems to, it seems to be seems to have written very, very well, as far as I can see. I haven't haven't found too many problems with it. Uh,
2: But the one that worked for mine was something like strict mode or something?
0: That's right, yeah, yeah. Okay. You just switch off the the Pandoc uh, extensions. Yeah, I mean, I
2: was just going by the uh, documentation over at Daring Fireball as far as uh, how to insert images.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's fine, that's fine. We, like I say, we're still we're still learning. We're, we're uh, it was my fault. I, I I didn't quite appreciate that it was going to do that.
2: Yeah, well, you fixed it.
0: So the another comment, another thread that that we had was concerning the the menus on the website. Uh, Mike Ray had pointed out that the the menus that we have are not accessible to him because he can't hover over them and get get. Uh, you know um the sort of uh spoken feedback that he needs, and the reason yeah. for that is because we're using uh the hover facility the hover capability to drop down stuff uh to make it look like a like a menu and um so I think Ken commented back on this that he was off to to look to see what what could be done to improve it and uh he came back saying that it was going to be really really difficult and could do with some some help on that uh, so yeah uh, so it's 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 that balance between html and css and uh, and how those two things hook into uh, uh, screen readers and, and all of those types of things, I think. Um, I
2: wonder if Mike could, uh, depending on what browser he's using, like if he's using Firefox, it's extremely easy to just disable all styling, and that would open up the menus to his screen reader, it would seem to me.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not sure of the details of this. I think the way that the, the HTML underneath has been put together means that um, uh, it it relies on the fact that there are uh, gonna be there's going to be a CSS that responds in particular ways to uh, to drop down lists and open up open up lists and stuff. Um, so I, I'm not clear whether that would do the job um, or whether it would be better just to have, have a different version of the of the main page. I, I don't know. I don't'm'm I'm I'm no expert on this at all, so so hmm. I, I can't really comment this, much.
2: It sounds like uh, a good reason to try the page in w three m.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an ongoing thing, I think. And this uh, yeah. help, help is requested from people who might might know how to better ways of solving this. So another thing we had on the list was uh, we seem to have an issue with the mailing list itself. Uh, this, is, this is a bit sort of behind the scenes. But what seemed to be happening was that um, uh, when Ken was trying to send a message out, about, which I'll come on to in a minute, about more contributions needed, please. He was sending some attachments. The attachments, the message went to Mailman. Mailman apparently did the right thing and sent it out to everybody. But it looks as if the anti-spam stuff on uh, the uh, the server then killed it. Because the reason I say that is because the message in in its intact form was in the archive and in a reduced form was in the digest because i subscribed the digest just to make sure that it works uh the digest form of the list digest always strips out the attachments and points to them on the website um and that worked so it was just the one with the actual attachments that was being stopped so i think that's been solved but we were trying to um to test it so that was that's what all that was about
2: okay yeah i, I i'll be honest i kind of ignored that whole thread <laughs>
0: Probably, I should have ignored it too, really, shouldn't I? So, yeah. (laughs) um, And then the issue of getting contributions was uh, had a lot of discussion. Uh, The threading in these notes hasn't worked very well because a lot of people did digest replies and stuff and broke threads yeah so, i see a number uh, shall, of digest things here yeah i shall try not to nag even though i did do a, a show on how not to do that but uh, um anyway hold me back hold me back um <laughs> the the but the point of it was that um uh ken was i think ken's view was that uh you owe us a show he said you owe us a show if you if you've ever been a contributor or if you're a listener even you owe us a show, but um, it was pointed out by Lost in Bronx uh, in a response that I didn't completely absorb when he wrote it. That maybe that wasn't quite the approach that we should be taking. And, and thinking about it, I think he was he was right. It was more that it's a community. We, in order for the 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 show, that the whole community structure of HBR to continue, we need contributions. But you don't owe us a show. It's just that we we desperately need your help. Yeah. (laughs) So the difference in sort of trying to, I don't think anybody was ever trying to make anybody feel guilty about not contributing. But it might have come. across. Somebody might have been. Yeah, well, it might have come across (laughs) that way. So uh, so I think the the point is, and and Ken responded to this saying, uh, yeah, okay that's not quite the way that we want to want to do it we still need them we still need the the shows please but uh, um, it's it's more that uh, uh, if you want the uh, the project to continue then um, we, we need your contribution please
2: yeah well we did get a new host this month and uh, I we could use a few more i I'm gonna say my episode contributions are probably going to go down this fall I've I've got a number of things going on and so it'd be great if some other people could step in there and and upload some more shows
0: absolutely absolutely yeah so there was there were one or two comments about um you don't need to worry about uh, the quality and uh, you know don't think you sound stupid because you know it's uh, it's just you who thinks that not the rest of the world and so on and so forth um i would say I, i think
2: people should worry at least a little bit about the sound quality um just it I, I want to be able to listen without hearing distortion. That's my main thing.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, do do your best, do your best, but don't don't be don't be frightened uh, that uh, that it's that it's terrible um, unless it really is terrible. But, mostly, well, it's not. <laughs> mostly, mostly. There it's, have it,
2: been there have been a couple of episodes where I had to turn it off because there was so much distortion. But yes. uh, as far as worrying about the way your own voice sounds, don't worry about that at all. I no. I would say I I, I don't I, I just want to hear people talk.
0: I know, but it, it, there is a there is a terrible embarrassment that first time you ever record your voice. Sure, the voice you've heard all your life coming through your head to your ears, and all of a sudden you hear it coming from the outside world to your ears, and it's totally different, and it sounds awful, it, it, and you think, oh, it no. is. but everybody it else has heard shopping. it that way all the time. So what are you worrying about? So you know, it's but it, I, I sympathise with that viewpoint. So. Yep, get over it. It's not such a big deal. What we want to know is the interesting stuff that you have to tell us. And uh, you, if you listen to any of HBR, you'll get some idea of the sort of things that we get to, uh, to listen to. And it's all fantastic. So just add your bit to that, please. Yep. Okay, let's call a halt to the, um, the mail business. And I think Sounds good. we've pretty much covered the comments. Uh, what we... We we changed the way that we do the comments a wee bit because we used to wait till the end of everything at this point and then go through all the comments. In some cases, it was going back to shows we'd already looked at and uh, doing the comments. What, what we're doing now is we're just going through all the comments as we, as we go along. The only bit that we don't cover by that means is where somebody in the month of September has made a comment to an older show and... Um, so we need to maybe just check if there are any of those before we call uh, before we get to the end of that particular bit. And there was yeah. one. There was one. Fifty one fifty made a comment to Lost in Bronx for his Theatre of the Imagination Part Seven show, where he was talking about the the Zoom H1, I think it was, was it? And a Taz and a Tazcam. Um, mm-hmm. And I think fifty one fifty was was happy that uh, um, that comparison had been done because he went out and bought himself a Assume.
2: Yep. And then, uh, a guy named Rob Blaine made a comment on my, uh, HPR 1750, which was where I talked about X clip XDO tool and XVKBD, and how I use them in conjunction with Blather. And uh, I was really glad to hear that he is using Blather. Uh, although I'm, uh, sad to hear that it's because he also has, um, um, a, a medical issue and said he's got a dystonia or something. And so it's, uh I, I hate hearing about anybody suffering from those things, but I'm really glad that Blather's helping them out.
0: Indeed, indeed. We had a... These are not easy to follow, or is it just me? Um, we had a comment on uh, 1831 back in August, which was a shadowy figures show. No, we, we covered these last 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 time, though, didn't we? I think we did. See, here's, here's where know. it gets a little confusing, because what we did was we, we, we reviewed that particular show uh, 1831, last month, and the comment had already, no, it kind of already been made, because it was made in the following month.
2: Well, it says it's September 7th.
0: Yeah, yeah, so it was a further comment. It was comment number five to 1831, which was a shadowy figures show on speed listening, and um, this was Foki, who came back and was commenting on her the speeds of German-speaking podcasts and Swedish-speaking podcasts and English, uh, and the, the, the different speeds. The I like
2: term. that. It, it hadn't really occurred to me that uh, you would have different speeds for different languages, but it totally makes sense, I suppose, to, you know, depending on your fluency in the different languages.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I find I can't speed... English up very much these days. It's probably because my brain's slowing down or something. I don't know. What it <laughs> but, uh, it's an old age catch up with me. But anyway, but uh, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting subject. But um, good for people who can do it. I, I certainly can't. Is that it? That
2: might be about it. Yeah. There's some correct. things on NY Bill's uh, HPR 1846. Did we, that was in August that was the the oh, that was the review. Remember we had wondered about the review of that multimeter? That was yes, his review yes. show
0: that that was last that was the it was August. yeah, yeah, because the the last um community news was actually in September, wasn't it? because uh, just the way these things panned out. Um, so we were some of the some of these comments had already come in. I think the David Whitman's comment hadn't maybe at that particular time. Um, okay. David Whitman said, it takes me a minute to open these things up. Hold on a second. Uh, Damn you, he says. These good buys that NY Bill keeps bringing up are causing me to spend dollars. I <laughs> bought two of the X61s and love them. And Now this actually needed the ability to test capacitors. This can save a bundle. Just, asking, just ask Flying Rich who lost a bundle.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Yes. That's, uh, yes. I'm not sure everybody will get that comment. I'm not, I'm not so, even sure I do, but, uh.
2: Well, I guess what he's saying is all these bargains get pretty expensive.
0: Yes, yes. Well, the Flying Rich reference was, I think, that, uh, the Bitcoin. Do you not have a Bitcoin problem?
2: I, I don't know anything about Flying Rich. I don't no, know who no, that no. is.
0: It's uh, one of the, um, TLLTS presenters who was into ah, Bitcoin okay. at one time. So, I think that's it. Because now yeah. we're 1847, we've already covered. So, uh that's it we 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 need we need to actually make it easier to keep a record of what we have covered in the way of comments and what not i i I need to do a better job of this. I thought I'd got this one down, but obviously not yeah. I
2: think it worked okay
0: yeah we we it could it's 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 better than it was right I think we've nearly finished. I've just got uh one one maybe two more things to say one is that um we put out a request for help with the the tags, the missing tags and summaries on older shows. And uh, over the past month, we had one helper to who came along and helped out with uh, with these. Uh, this is the guy whose handle is Colin Six One Two Eight. I don't think he's a host yet. Hope maybe he he will. Uh, think of uh doing a show for us but he certainly was extremely helpful in doing 40 or more uh tag and summary additions to the various shows in the, in the database so just want to make it make it plain make, make a, pu- a public uh, vote of thanks for uh for calling 6128 and his help in this regard Very and nice. so yeah that was super super i was very pleased that we got that um the only other thing was that uh, we Ken and I have been uh, we've had we've been putting HPR shows up on archive.org for a while now. So from episode thirteen hundred forward, we most of them have gone up um and then before that we had problems because we didn't it wasn't easy to get hold of the high quality versions of the shows well we discovered that we're probably never going to get the high quality so we're just going to go with what quality we have so you're just starting the process of uploading the numbers backwards from 1300 so the range 1200 to 1299 i'm working on at the moment. So. If, uh, just just in case you've got shows in those ranges and you're interested in them being on archive.org, we're actually in the process of uh, of doing that for posterity. So,
2: Well, I, I should have, uh, for my own shows anyway, I think I've still got the high quality for all of them. Uh, so uh, for mine, I, I'd be happy to supply that. Okay. And by the way, okay. I want to thank you publicly also for working on that and also for uh, handling the, the pictures on my episodes that have <laughs> gone... Um, missing since one of my servers crashed. So thanks for taking care of that.
0: Hi, you're very welcome. We we need to uh, to get a better method of ensuring that we don't lose links and pictures and that that type of thing. Sometimes links are just not going to ever be there again for older shows. Yeah. But uh, but we we at very least need to be looking to see if there there are copies on the Wayback Machine, uh, various things, and and linking them, and bringing them bringing them onto the HBR site and those sorts of things, or putting a, a a disclaimer in saying sorry this link's now dead so um but, <laughs> too uh, bad yeah yeah that's life but uh yeah i i could i could be busy for you know if i live to about 90 then i've probably got a job for that for that time <laughs> so <laughs> anyway have All a right, rumor successor right thanks john that's super oh, we haven't gone on too long you haven't we haven't uh overdone this for you Pushing
2: pushing two hours here, so it's probably time to call it quits. If anybody's still listening, thank you.
0: (laughs) Okay. Thanks very much for your help, John.
2: Yep, you bet. Talk to you later.
0: See you later. Bye.
1: You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday.